Welcome to Animals to the Max. I'm your host, Corbin Maxey. This show is about animals and the people who dedicate their lives to them. And welcome everybody to another episode of the Animals to the Max podcast. I'm your host, Corbin Maxey. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the show. Welcome to a kind of a very special edition show. You know, every time animals make the news, especially national news, I always like to include the topics on the Animals to the Max podcast. Usually when animals make news, you know, you only hear one side of a story, and I always like to kind of go more in depth with what the country's talking about. And unfortunately, this news story is a very tragic one, but honestly, I feel like we need to dive into it. We need to figure out what happened. Last week on Monday, February 8th, a female polar bear by the name of Anana was killed by a male polar bear nuka at the Detroit Zoo. Now, this is incredibly devastating. First and foremost, I have to say, I mean, if there's any Detroit Zoo staff listening, uh, my condolences go out to you. You know, honestly, when you work with animals, the worst part of the whole thing is when you lose an animal, especially an animal like a polar bear, where, I mean, these charismatic animals you just get attached to. So my condolences to the team out there and just to the community. I mean, it's such a big loss. This was a freak accident. The male nuka killed Anana during a breeding attempt. And honestly, I, I wanted to dive more into this. And I know it's not the lightest of topics, but I wanted to dive into what happens when zoo animals die. What happens when freak accidents like this happen? Were there any you know safety measures, any way they could have prevented this? And honestly, the first person I thought of to talk about this is my buddy, Matt Price. Now, Matt is the host of the Zookeeper Stories podcast. If you are a veteran Animals to the Max podcast listener, then you'll know that Matt was one of my very, very early episodes. But Matt has been working at zoos for over 20 years. He's been working with polar bears for seven years, and he currently works at a very famous zoo with polar bears. We can't mention the zoo, but you guys put two and two together, you'll probably figure it out. We, you know, just discuss the incident. We also go into, in general, when zoo animals pass away, what they do, you know, with the bodies, do they use them for science? It is a fascinating discussion. Just a full disclaimer, some of this information might be sensitive to little ears, so I just really, really have to put that out there. So before we get into the interview with Matt regarding this polar bear, I have some news I want to share with you. You guys ready for this? Okay, so I am 100% stepping up my Patreon game. That is right, you guys. I'm stepping up my Patreon game. Patreon, by the way, for those of you listening who are like, wait, what? What? A Patreon? Who? What's a Patreon? Hi, mom. I'm talking to you. Patreon is a service and a way basically where you can support creators. It's a subscription service. So basically, the Animals to the Max has a Patreon page, patreon.com slash animals to the max. And for $10 a month, $15 a month, whatever tier you would like, it helps support the show. The fees for the Patreon go to the web hosting fees, new equipment, just making this podcast the best it absolutely can be. So we appreciate it, but I feel like it's time I step up the Patreon game. I'm going to be honest, I want more Patreon members, and I feel like to do that, I need to offer something. I need to give them more than just the occasional behind-the-scenes 
behind-the-scenes info on which guests are coming up. So, ladies and gentlemen, we are now offering Patreon-only exclusive interviews. These are after-show interviews. So a little behind-the-scenes fact, after each episode of the Animals to the Max podcast, I hit the stop record button, and I usually have conversations with my guest afterwards. And sometimes these last five minutes, one time actually, who was I on with? I was with an upcoming guest. I was on for over an hour. And I thought to myself, that is so interesting. Like, I bet a lot of people would actually like to hear some of this information. I mean, sometimes some of the most interesting conversations happen after the show is done recorded. And I don't even mean it to be like that. Sometimes it just happens. So we're going to now offer these behind the scenes conversations for Patreon members only. So Matt agreed to do this. And by the way, we had a fantastic conversation after the interview. We, you know, go more in depth of what it's like working with polar bears. We also talk about the negative feedback zoos are facing, the criticisms they face right now in this day and age, especially, you know, uh, media outlets, certain ones trying to spin this polar bear story, trying to say this is why animals should not be in captivity. So we really dive into it and we don't hold any barriers back. It's a very candid conversation. And I also go into my thoughts on people who are anti-zoo and just animals in captivity. And so it's, like I said, very fascinating. So if you want to hear the full interview, including that bonus patreon only member episode make sure to head on over to our patreon page patreon.com slash animals to the max i will include a link into the show notes now listen if you're listening to the show and you're like corbin ten dollars a month that's too much for me right now i completely understand it's a crazy time in this world i promise we will continue to still give you great episodes with great insight great information the patreon page though is just for people who want a little more kind of our diehard fans who want to dive deeper and get to know me and the guests more more. So that's it. That's my plug. With that said, let's welcome to the show, Matt Price. We are going to talk about the polar bear incident at the Detroit Zoo. Matt, welcome to the show, man. Hey, Corbin. It's good to talk to you again. It's been a while. Uh, I remember when you were first getting your start doing the whole podcasting thing, and I had you on my show uh, several years ago at this point now. So it's good to see your face and talk to you again, man. Dude, you were you were still one of my favorite guests. You were like one of my first big guests that I ever had on the Animals <laughs> big, to the Max. Big guests, right. No, I mean, I'm not, and not physically, by the way. You're tall and lean, so don't. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's so cool to see you, man. So good to see you. Yeah. And um, can you just, I mean, I guess we're here today. We're doing a special edition podcast just regarding some breaking news about a polar bear that was recently killed at the Detroit Zoo. And can we just go into your background really quick and why you're here and why you're going to be commenting on it? And by the way, not on behalf of the Detroit Zoo, we should put that out there. Right. Yeah, I don't work at the Detroit Zoo. I do work at a large, world-famous zoo in the southwestern United States. Uh, can't officially tell you where that is, but you can probably figure it out. Uh, my thoughts and opinions are my own, but I'm here because I've worked with uh, carnivores and polar bears for uh, you know, 20 years or so. I've been doing this job for about 20 years, polar bears for the last seven or so. Uh, and I don't work with them currently. I don't work with them as much as I have in the past. Uh, but I have, I, I would say I have a fair amount of experience with them and carnivores in general. Dude, you have the coolest job, by the way. I, I just, can I just say that? Like, that's one of my, yeah, one of my favorite things that you used to tell me is when you and your buddy used, well, I mean, used to go to football games. I mean, obviously that's changed now regarding the pandemic, but you <laughs> yeah. said that you would be in these stadiums and realize, like, do you realize, like, I'm the only one that takes care of polar bears and you're the only one that takes care of lions? Like, it just blows yeah. my mind. I think that's so cool, man. There's not a lot of us. No, not a lot. So I, I just kind of, um, do we want to go into the incident? Uh, just kind of what happened? I have some notes. I don't know if you want to sure. go into it. It's completely up to you. 
No, you can intro it. I can. Yeah. Yeah. So basically uh, on Monday, February 8th, a female polar bear was killed at the Detroit Zoo. Female Anana, I believe I'm pronouncing that right. She was 20 years old, was killed by male Nuka, 16 years old. And they had lived together without incident for a little over a year. So it looks like the the male Nuka had been at the Detroit Zoo since 2011. Anana had uh, actually came into the zoo in early 2020. And they were first introduced in March 2020 without any incident. And they were trying to do a breeding attempt and uh, no one actually witnessed the incident, but keepers found Anana dead on exhibit. And it's kind of been a shocking news stories for the whole zoo world. And that's why I reached out to you because I was like, man, this is such a such a tragic loss. It's rare. And I mean, anyway, we can go into that. Yeah, uh, it's it's absolutely sad. You have to realize, though, that Anytime you do an animal introduction, whether it's a breeding introduction or not, like there's always a risk for something to happen, to, to, for something bad to happen, you know. And with with large carnivores, you know, sometimes you have to take the leap. You know, you can look for all the signs that you want, uh, you know, that they're uh, receptive to each other, that they like each other, that they've been introduced through a howdy or a mesh, mesh screen or some some way to prevent them from actually having physical contact to each other. And you look at all the signs and you know, sometimes it, it, it just it gets dangerous. I've seen it happen before. Uh, luckily, I haven't personally witnessed anything like this. Um, but it's scary because you know that you can't really do anything if something happens, right? But with a species like polar bears, where don't quote me on the exact number, but I believe there's we have 55 something like that in the uh, in in the country right now uh, in AZA's SSP program. Um, so there's not a lot of them, and. Mm. We're, we're we're good at a, breeding a lot of animals in zoos and, and managed facilities, but polar bears are not one of them. One one thing I like, one story I like to tell that kind of blows my mind still to this day, and it's because we put so much uh, uh, time and resources into pandas, is that you know we're so good at breeding pandas now. Pandas have a you know like a very short breeding window, like 48 to 72 hours, where the female is an estrus and receptive to breeding, and we're so good at reading the signs and knowing when to put them together and then producing cubs out of that. But polar bears have kind of eluded uh, uh, managed facilities and in terms of being super successful in breeding, right? We, uh, again, don't quote me on the exact numbers. I don't have them right in front of me. But uh, the last time I looked at the SSP, it was something like we needed to breed, uh, have successful about 5.5 births per year to increase our polar bear uh, uh, population that we currently have in zoos in this country. And it's lower than that, a little bit lower than that for just simply maintaining our, our population. And we're not, we're not at that level by any means. Uh, and now there's, there's, uh, I can't, yeah, I'm sorry. I should have more facts. Dude, facts dude you're me. fine. No uh, one's going to sit here and listen to this podcast and be like, oh, he got that wrong. There's actually 56 <laughs> polar bears. Like I promise my listeners aren't like that. <laughs> okay. Uh, and then the, like, I think it's the Marine Mammal Act, I believe, that uh, uh, now says that we cannot transport polar bears across international borders. So in the United States, we only really have Alaska, and that's it. That's just, that's all we, we can get these orphan bears from. We don't we don't bring adult bears out of the wild. Pretty much the only time you're ever going to find a polar bear coming from the wild to a zoo setting or a managed care setting is when it's an orphan cub or if it's a problem bear that you know keeps coming back to a town, something like that, and they don't know what to do with it. They either destroy it or they send it to some some place that can help rehab it. Right. So our opportunity is for getting new bears and especially new genes into our, 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 you know, our gene pool, so to speak with, with polar bears are, is very limited at this point. And I believe that, uh, I can't remember. I believe one of them has, I think Ananda has very, very, uh, 
um, uh, valuable genes. You know, she, she, we, we really wanted her to breed. And the SSP, the Species Survival Plan's job is to kind of match up animals that you think will get along, not only just get along, but genetically speaking, will produce a very valuable bear that could produce and, and, and distribute their genes down the line and create a very robust genetic population of that animal. So for a population that's that small, uh, for an animal that's that much at risk, you know, it's very difficult to uh, not try to breed these animals to, to keep that population going. And, you know, I think there are, are, are arguments to not do that. But for me, the arguments of keeping animals like polar bears in zoos uh, far outweigh the, the, the negative parts of that. You know, I, I often say that people don't care about things that they can't see, touch, interact mm-hmm. with. And polar bears are like, I mean, they're, they're just magical animal that no one's ever going to see, uh, unless you live in like the, uh, the, the <laughs> outer reaches of Alaska or Northern Canada and Hudson around Hudson Bay, you know, that's something that a regular person, uh, that regular zoo goer is never going to see there in their entire life. And to be able to bring that kind of animal into a setting where it inspires people to care about them, uh, is very powerful in my opinion and, and worth that risk. Yeah, and I, I got think, a little bit off topic there. Sorry, dude. Please, I love when you go off topic, man. This is that's <laughs> my show. Hey, I was just gonna say, I think polar bears. I mean, now I have to put a, I have to put a little preference with this when they are active, <laughs> like when they're not sleeping. Yeah. But when you actually yeah. go and see them, and they're in the water, and you know, you know, zoos these days have fantastic, beautiful, you know, beautiful exhibits. They're one of the most charismatic animals on exhibit. Yeah, and, and Detroit is one of those. They have one of the, I believe it was built in early 2000s, but at yeah. the time, and even now, it's still one of the best polar bear exhibits. I've never personally been there, but oh. seeing videos and pictures and stuff, it's incredible. They have that long uh, like underwater tube, yes. like if you go to SeaWorld, that's like the shark tank, and yep. sharks are swimming over in there, but now a polar bear swimming over you. So uh, it's an awesome exhibit. So one of, the benef- Habitat, one of the benefits of my wife being from Detroit is every time I go back and visit her when we dig long distance, dude, I, I literally got a membership for the Detroit zoo and it was amazing dude the polar bear habitat was one of my favorites and if you think about it it's perfect weather for polar bears (laughs) like it's like detroit in the winter time it's like it's perfect and it is one of the most beautiful habitats i have seen it and and one of the largest i should note in the country um and so yeah definitely definitely a big loss there and i i just want to say because i i feel like people don't realize maybe who aren't in the zoo world but polar bears wouldn't you say they're one of the rarest animals to have at zoos like in the u.s i mean because there's i mean i don't know i mean there's a demand for them i know that we, we we just don't have a lot of them yeah i mean it's uh there's a lot of things that go into one. Like I said, they're they're difficult difficult to acquire, yes, um, and that's what I meant to not say. many zoos have the facilities to, to to house them. I mean, they like we just talked about. Detroit's is amazing. Our zoo's a polar habitat. I think is really nice, mm-hmm. um, but you have to have specific. Uh, things set inside, set in place to be able to house them successfully. Whether it's we're talking, we're not talking about just space. We're talking about uh, facilities like uh, that. In warmer climates, you have to have air conditioning and snow available for them in the summer, and, and all kinds of stuff that you know sometimes are cost prohibitive to smaller zoos. And if you think about it again, if I'm if I'm correct on that number, 55. Uh, you know, 55 polar bears for the entire country and however many zoos are the entire country, you know, several at least per state. So uh, there's no way that we that every zoo could have one 
not just because of the scarcity, but because of the, the facilities required to house them successfully. Yeah. And I remember, so my friend, she works at SeaWorld and I was just devastated to find out that SeaWorld hasn't had the San Diego park, hasn't had polar bears for years. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like that, that, that Arctic, the, 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 um, SeaWorld has that great exhibit. I think it's like called the Arctic ring of life. Am I going crazy? It's, it's like a beautiful exhibit. And she just said that, uh, they haven't had them for years. They just literally can't get them. And I just was thinking, oh my God, I didn't realize how, you know, um, how hard it was to get to acquire them. Yeah, they sent one of theirs away for a breeding, breeding. loan, I think, yep. to Pittsburgh several years ago. Uh, and then the other one, unfortunately, passed away. And then that was it for their polar bear program. Because, I mean, I guess, theoretically, they, they could bring back the one. But remember, the goal here is to produce more polar bears to enhance our population. So if they're out on a breeding loan, uh, and you know, there, there are signs that says it's going to be successful, then you can't just pull them back for that. So a very unfortunate thing that happened to SeaWorld's polar bears. Yeah. So, okay. So, and so I hear some other notes regarding what happened. So last week before this incident took place, they said they introduced the, the two bears first, they had a, a steel mesh barrier between them just to see like how their behavior was. Everything looked fine. And then they started releasing them in the main area. And then on Monday, we had the incident, and I guess one of their chief scientists came on and said, it looks like Nuka, the male, was ready, but he kind of talked about how aggressive their mating is. Can we get into that really quick? Yeah, so in terms of the introductions, uh, so polar bears, they can live together, but polar bears in the wild, they're solitary animals. Uh, the only time you'll ever really find polar bears together I mean, I guess there are a few instances, you know, obviously a mom with cubs during breeding season, which is typically somewhere between, you know, January and May, sometimes earlier, sometimes later, uh, you'll find males uh, just tracking females and they're nomadic breeders. So they breed one female and move on to the next one. They, they don't they don't hang out with them unless there's a big, you know, whale carcasses wash up. They've been known to congregate to feed on, on, on big because resources are so scarce uh, in that area of the world. Um, but but typically you're not going to find a polar bear hanging out with another polar bear. Um, so so you know zoos zoos are really good at at getting polar bears to get along. You know if you provide enough resources for an animal, then they're happy. They don't have to they don't have to compete for anything. They don't have to compete for food. They don't have to compete for sh uh, shelter or or water or. Uh, you know, anything. It's all provided for them. So there's not a whole lot of reason for them to fight. Um, but that said, you know, they still can get cranky. I mean, you watch the you watch the behavior of them. You you can tell, OK, these two guys, they maybe they need a break from each other. So sometimes you separate them for, you know, X number of months, whatever it is, um, until you're ready to bring them back together. And, and they'll let you know. They'll let you know. They'll start showing interest. Hey, what's that bear doing over there? You know, uh, and you'll bring them closer together through a howdy situation, like you said, through a steel mesh thing. Um, and these two bears, from what I've gathered from the story, it was they lived together all the time. They were fine together. They were separated for this purpose. You know, they're solitary animals. So they're giving them a break for each other. They did it. Uh, they did an introduction through a mesh. All the signs were good. So they put them back together and things were fine. And in fact, the thing that I read this morning was that they weren't planning for uh, breeding to happen anytime soon. There were no signs. Oh. Generally, when animals are going to start breeding, they show signs like the male will start following around the female constantly and inc incessantly. Uh, sometimes the female will get upset and turn around and say, hey, leave me alone, you know, <laughs> that, that kind of thing. Um, but I guess in this case, there were no signs that the keepers or the staff there, there saw that breeding was going to happen anytime soon. They thought, you know, they're just getting ready. They're just getting to know each other again, you know, getting acclimated, that kind of thing. Uh, and it was going well. And no signs of breeding uh, interest were happening so they weren't really that concerned about it and just this freak accident i mean yeah. I, I mean it happens 
and you said something earlier on in the interview and I mean, so reports say no one witnessed this. And you said if you were a keeper to witness this, you said there's nothing you could do. I mean, seriously, there wouldn't be anything you could do, right? I, I, there's nothing you – so there there are things that we have in place to – you know, that, that hopefully can help. Like uh, you can have fire hoses or, or, mm. or water cannons or whatever around. You can have noisemakers. Uh, uh, I, I remember doing several introductions where we were up on top of the, the, the roof overlooking the exhibit and had big boomer balls, which are these big hard plastic uh, enrichment balls, uh, mm. things that we can just throw to make sounds, uh, sound loud sounds, uh, mm. air horns, things like that. Just Because sometimes all it takes is to, to get them out of that like mindset of what they're doing is a, a quick distraction. So a loud air horn, they turn around and look, and now all of a sudden, uh, you know, the, the animal that's under, dist- under stress has a chance to get away real quick, you know, and reestablish a defensive position or something. So, uh, I, I mean, I can get into stories for other things, too. I, I, I've seen a, a, an elephant uh, introduction that went really bad. It wasn't a breeding introduction. It was actually two females oh my God. Uh, where, uh, I mean, we had uh, we also have like CO2 uh, fire extinguishers that doesn't blow out fire retardant stuff. Mm-hmm. But see, just CO2, like you spray that in their face. This one elephant was pounding on another elephant. Uh, uh, and the, I, I watched one of the, one of the leads take, a t- take a, uh, uh, take the fire extinguisher and actually bang the, had to bang the elephant in the head and it didn't matter. The oh. elephant didn't care. You mean like stomp so, like, to death? I'm just like, you said, no, it didn't. The other elephant didn't die. Okay. But, no, I mean, but it like, could, it, it could, it, yeah. it could have if it wanted to, but, okay. but taking this fire extinguisher and physically hitting yeah. this elephant with yeah. it to get him off of, get, get her off of the other elephant. It didn't matter. It didn't phase them at all. So we can have noisemakers, we can have water cannons, we can have all these distractions, but for animals that are that large, uh, and especially carnivores and elephant, elephants, animals that we cannot physically go in with without significant danger to ourselves, there's, I mean, it's up to them to figure it out, you know? Um, so we can be as good as we, as we, as we think we can be in terms of reading the body language of these animals and w- before we put them together, looking at, uh, uh, data based on, uh, observations in the past, all of this stuff we can be prepared for. But, you know, the, in, in the end, these are animals that are in a zoo, but they also are still wild animals and they're going to do what their instincts tell them to do. And sometimes they're too big or too dangerous for us to really help out, uh, an animal in distress like that. Man, and they and they were talking about. I mean, have you ever witnessed? I mean, I'm assuming you've witnessed in 20 years of polar bear mating. Have you? I mean, would you think? I mean, it's a pretty aggressive practice. Ritual. Um, it, I, I wouldn't say I've had 20 years of, of polar bear mating experience. Maybe <laughs> five, 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 maybe five, five to okay. seven, yeah. uh, and, and that and that particular species. But um, I mean, in, in general, in general, mating is is in the animal kingdom is is aggressive. I mean, if yes. you look at even like, I don't know if you've ever seen, I'm sure, 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 sure you and your listeners have seen like mallards flying around. Have you ever seen a male mallard made a, a female mallard? Dude. They grab the thing by the neck, back of the neck, tear feathers out of it, step on them, chase them, fly around. Like just do not leave. I feel so bad dude, for those dude, female. Our, okay. Side note, our mallard tries to mate with our chickens every year. And it is like the most <laughs> aggressive thing. And I mean, side note, uh, kids close your ears, but they have a, like a spiral penis. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. and I picked up, 
up the mallard last year and saw this penis and one it was like a <laughs> alien <laughs> like yeah. it looks like yeah. this spiral worm and it's yeah. terrifying yeah. but it's so aggressive it is okay go ahead matt back on so, so yeah so like even something like a mallard you can see the yeah. aggression involved in in, in breeding and you know yeah. both obvious I, I cannot speak for the female mallard in that particular case but <laughs> to further their species they are programmed to do this behavior right yep and you can imagine the larger the animal, the more dangerous the animal. Animals that have sharp teeth and big claws, the more dangerous those encounters can be. And if a female, if if a female isn't receptive, and a male is, you know, I'm going to breed no matter what. I mean, that 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 just sets yourself yourself up for a, a potentially dangerous encounter, you know. But again, a lot of these animals that we're talking about, elephants, uh, polar bears, big cats, there there's so few of them that it's important for us to continue to try to do this and we'll, we have to continue to try to get better. You know, we, we, we have to continue to try to read the science, look at data, look at actual data instead of just going off of human feelings and trying to project emotions of what these animals are doing. Uh, but I, I just think in the end, it's something that it's, it's a risk that you're going to have to take if you want animals like polar bears to still be around in zoos. Yeah, and I, I and I'm totally for polar bears being in zoos regarding the captive and, breeding program. I mean, one hundred percent. And and this and this isn't something I should say. I should preface this by saying this isn't something that just happened. That just happens in zoos. I mean, in the wild, polar bears breeding. Oh, thank you for saying deaths that. Deaths happen too. It's not just like because they're in zoos that they're this. This is why they're dying during breeding. Mm-hmm. This happens in the wild. You know, this yeah. isn't a zoo based thing. Yeah, and it's just obviously more in our forefront if we see it in a zoo and under a managed population. It it, it, it it kind of tugs on your heartstrings a little bit more because we have them in this this environment that isn't necessarily their natural environment. Sure. Uh, and so we're for, and we're forcing them into this situation, quote unquote, forcing them into this situation. Right. But it's something that happens not just in zoos. Yeah. And I should say for those of you who are I mean, I don't think there's a lot of anti zoo people who listen to this, but I mean, we I mean, we're just in that day and age where I feel like this younger generation is I, I don't know, they're very you know, sunshine, rainbows, and I'm making a general statement. Let's let everything be free and wire things in captivity. And I just want to say the wild is not a beautiful, great place. I mean, there aren't, (laughs) no, truly though. Have you ever seen that starving polar bear video because of global warming? It's the most heartbreaking video that you'll ever see. I mean, just watching this. I mean, can we talk about that? Because polar bears are disappearing at an alarming rate in the wild. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, the, the, the biggest problem for polar bears in terms of climate change, uh, you know, we, we talk about the sea ice, but why is the sea ice so important for them? It's because that's how they that's that's how they eat. They, they, they mm-hmm. eat primarily ring cell, seals and bearded seals. That's their the bulk of their diet. Uh, and the reason why the ice is so important, important for the bears when it starts forming, these seals will, uh, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll build birthing dens underneath the ice. They'll have air holes to come up and the bears will just lie in wait. Like they are determined, <laughs> determined ambush predators. You know, they can smell, uh, uh, smell seals from miles away. They can smell blood from miles away. If you've ever watched like, uh, I don't know, like a discovery channel or animal planet thing where you've seen a polar bear, like kind of stomping through the ice, they, 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 they're looking for those seal dens to be able to pull out those things that they eat. So if there's no ice, that means there's no place for the seals to go, which means there's nothing for the polar bears to eat. So when you see those, those pictures of those really skinny polar bears, that's what you see. That's why they'll come together, uh, for carcass feeds. If they happen to have a big whale carcass file up, pull up a bunch of polar 
bears will come and they'll tolerate each other because they they're they're all hungry. They're 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 uh, focusing on eating and filling their bellies, not focusing on the other bears around them. You know that kind of thing. Um, there is some evidence, uh, and I have this is not up to date information by any means, um, but I, I do remember reading I think last year that there is some evidence that polar bears are starting to eat uh, things like snow goose eggs and and ptarmigan eggs, but we don't really know if if uh, that's enough to sustain, uh, you know, a male polar oh. bear can weigh, weigh upwards of 1500 pounds, wow. you know, at, at, at its peak, uh, a, a female polar bear in the 650, 700 pound range, you know, at, at, that, at their peak. So males are, so that's the, that, I know I'm bringing this back to the breeding thing again. Um, but that's another reason why it's dangerous because the, the females are so much smaller than the males, especially in this species. Wow. Wow. And that's okay. And when, when people go to zoos and I liked how you, you kind of brought, you talked about their solitary nature. Do zoos usually have like have to separate polar bears, like rotate them on and off exhibit? Is that kind of a common occurrence unless they're trying to yeah. breed them? Yeah. So, uh, we have three polar bears. We have a brother and a sister and okay. uh, unrelated female. Um, and, as, as long as I've been working with them, their relation dy dynamics have been changing. The, the unrelated female, you know, in the past was always kind of the boss. She was the, the matriarch, so to speak. Like she would tell the other two bears where to go and when to do it and that kind of thing. And as she's, she's gotten older, she's become more co kind of codependent on the male. Like she wants to know where, where, where he is all the time. Uh, and, and wants to be with them, and that's that. That has absolutely changed, uh, and just in the the small amount of time that I've been with them, uh, and then the the unrelated, the, uh, excuse me, the sister the uh, of of the boy we have, you know, she's kind of like the odd odd bear out, so to speak, right? So during especially during breeding season, the other two bears want absolutely nothing to do with her, uh, mm -hmm. and she doesn't really like that. Sometimes she like her and her, she wants to just play with her brother, and brother's mm -hmm. like, no, I don't care about you. I care about uh, <laughs> I care about my girlfriend right now. So we'll have to pull her out of the situation. Um, but you, again, this goes back to having the facilities to do it. In our facility, we have a, a, a big exhibit and uh, a big public exhibit, and there's a whole side exhibit that the public can't really see. Um, so even a bear that is separated from the main exhibit and from the main bedroom area, they still have the kind of like their own little polar bear penthouse situation where they have their own pool, their own yard, all this stuff. So uh, it's definitely not uncommon. Yeah. And by this is such a side note. I was so crushed not to see that because you and I, we actually met in person <laughs> this summer, social distancely, of course, from six feet yeah. apart. And I, I was so excited to see the bears. And you were like, sorry, man, COVID, but I could tell you all about them. I'm like, yeah, that works. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I felt really bad about that. But we're not, unfortunately, most zoos are not allowing a whole lot of uh, behind the scenes stuff right now until this is, this is all taken care Dude, of. You know? But the good totally thing, the it. good thing where, where I am is that uh, animal care staff and veterinarians, they got put into, um, uh, into the group one, a tier one, a basically, cause mm -hmm. it's impossible for us to, uh, you know, do animal procedures and work with, with veterinarian staff and stuff like that from a, from a safe distance, uh, six foot distance. And even if you're wearing masks, there's obviously still a risk. So we got put into that first group for vaccinations. Um, so hopefully, hopefully that changes soon. Well, we'll come back. Yeah. We'll come back down and see you. So I, I have a question in this, uh, do, do the male and the brother and sister ever try to mate? No, uh, they, they've never shown any interest in that, really? in that way. Um, and you know, just as a precaution, the 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 sister is is under like basically permanent birth control. Oh, okay. Uh, Interesting. So so that like she she's been on it so long at this point that, I mean, I don't know. I'm sure there's still a point zero 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 one chance that it could happen that she could be pregnant if they were to breed. But they've never shown any interest in each other. She's been on these, uh, uh, these drugs for so long that 
she's probably sterile at this point. It oh. would be my guess. Um, and the reason why that's uh, the reason why we do that is because she, a because we don't want them breeding. And the reason why we wouldn't move her to a different facility yes. or him to a different facility to breed is because those two historically have been so bonded with each other that he was almost a companion. They're almost companion animals mm. uh, together. They came in together from the same place. They've been very dependent on each other until, until recently, I would say now recently the behavior has changed a little bit. Um, but, uh, that was why that decision was made. She also has, uh, some weird things going on with her feed and some other like things that don't make her an ideal breeding partner for others. So the decision mm. was made with SSP's blessing that we, that she was likely never going to be an option for breeding, unfortunately. Okay. Okay. And how old are the bears you work with? Uh, our oldest, oh geez. Uh, uh, <laughs> and you, you can make an estimate. I'm going to, I'm going to miss by a year. I know I'm going to do it cause I always do, but I believe, uh, the, the older female is close to 20, five or 26 now wow. okay. and the two younger ones are in the 18 to 19 range i'm not sure they might have just turned 20 in in january i'd have to double check on that but upper teens for the two related ones and uh mid 20s for the um for the older female wait what is the lifespan of a polar bear so it's you know you know it's it it, it kind of varies but it, it ballpark figure in a zoo setting uh, female polar bears can la live into their early to mid thirties, males to their, uh, early to mid twenties. Uh, and in the wild, in the wild, uh, you know, probably 10 years left or so on, on either side, just cause being in the wild is a lot more difficult. Yeah. And it's a rough life for a polar bear. Oh, it really is. Yeah. Uh, I would not like that. Okay. So I'm going to talk to you. And once again, we should preference like you are not speaking on behalf of your facility. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And but uh, we're going to get into it uh, just because I think it, it it is it is interesting. It's not a happy topic to talk about, but I think we need to talk about it. What happens when an animal passes away at a zoo, Matt, when you have a 1500 pound polar bear? I guess you, this is a female, so smaller. What happens when you have an animal like this pass away at the zoo? Uh, I mean, you want to go, go through all of the steps. I mean, you, I mean, you uh, could, you could keep it broad. I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm just curious because this is a big animal and I mean, I've yeah. heard stories, what happens like when hippos pass away. Like I just, I let's just, oh, yeah. it's something that we, I could tell you elephant when elephant story, stories. Let's too. do it. Uh, no, I'm, I'm serious. Yeah. And, and by the way, we should uh, preference. This is not, this might be difficult for some people to listen to. I don't know if it's going to get that bad, but just, we'll put a little warning there. Yeah. Don't, uh, if you are faint of heart about. To the death of animals and the process of dealing with the death of animals probably don't listen to this part. Um, but, uh, no, so, I mean, obviously the first step is to get whatever in this particular situation would be to get the other bear away from it and off exhibit and secured somewhere else so that you can go in and deal with the, um, with the, the deceased animal, you know, and you pull them off exhibit. They usually go through a, a, a necropsy. You send it to your, 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 your pathogens lab, or if you're a smaller zoo, you bring in somebody to do that or send it to send it somewhere. So there's a, a I know like when I worked at uh, Woodland Park Zoo in Seattle, we partnered a lot with uh, Washington University. Like they would bring, you know, lots of vet students in over. Usually when an animal like this, like an animal like a polar bear or an elephant or a giraffe or something that, uh, you know, you don't see deaths too many, too much mm -hmm. uh, in a zoo situation. Like it's a big thing. Like people, it, they, it, so we'll take it as like a learning, uh, mm -hmm. an opportunity for, for vet students and things like that. So they come in and they, you know, do all kinds of blood work and, uh, rigor tests and, uh, you know, they, uh, we're getting a little bit gory here, but, you know, cut off certain body parts and, uh, run tests on those, you know, look at, 
uh, you know, really dig into like the fat content and, um, you know, looking at bone structures. Was there any arthritis present? Were present? Were there any organs that were in failure? Was this something that uh, I, like could have been prevented? You know, if it wasn't like a, a breeding related or a, a trauma related death, if it was was it something that we missed medically that we that we were looking at. Uh, and then, you know, the, after, after that, after all that processing has been done, after everything is learned, that can be learned, all that stuff. Um, then like, you know, the parts of the, of the, the animal that weren't used, they're disposed in some, of some way. Sometimes if it's a really, uh, if it's an animal that was really near and dear to the population, not just the, uh, the, the professionals at the zoo, but for the people that visit the zoo, you know, sometimes some kind of memorial is made. Uh, a hippo that I worked with at, at the Woodland Park Zoo that went up, she, she, her, her skeleton went to a museum. So the oh. hippo, hippo, the entire uh, skeleton was there, was reassembled there. Um, uh, so there's different things. Uh, when, when we had a lion die, uh, it was very uh, kind of charismatic and very popular amongst uh, educators, especially. Uh, we actually had uh, uh, one of our educators is actually as a part time job as a taxidermist. So she like set up and they like gave her one, one of the animals paws and like she made this really nice thing. So like one of their his paws like sitting there in like the education building. Uh, <laughs> I know it sounds I'm sorry. Weird. I'm, so, uh, I'm sorry. I'm just like my mouth just. <laughs> but but usually I understand what so, you mean. So, the, so usually what will happen is, you know, the animal goes either into an incinerator, into a furnace and is cremated or mm. goes into a digester where it's chemically broken down and able to be, uh, you know, disposed of that way. So, uh, so there's lots of different processes and stuff that goes on, but ultimately most of it, if it's not going to some kind of memorial or museum or something like that, ultimately they go into, uh, just like we do, you know, usually it's not buried unless it's, you know, again, a very special animal. Maybe they make an exception and bury it somewhere and make a little, a nice memorial tombstone or something like that. But in general, it goes through an incinerator or some kind of uh, chemical digester. Is that at like a local funeral place? Because I'm assuming do zoos do big zoos have big incinerators? I'm assuming they don't. Yeah. Oh, they yeah. do. I oh, mean, I, I mean, guess. big zoos do. I don't know. If small zoos do. Small zoos yeah. might send them to. Uh, yeah, I don't know local, if it's a funeral I mean, home. Or- or yeah. a research facility or something. I'm not sure. Yeah. The, my hometown zoo is only like 13 acres. So I just I was assuming that, yeah, they didn't have that. So, <laughs> yeah, man, yeah. that's, yeah. Um, and we should say that this is incredibly rare too, right? I mean, I think I looked the Detroit zoo hasn't lost an animal like this since 1988, I think. And that was from another polar bear. So this is a very rare occurrence, um, you know, regarding yeah. polar bears. And that's why it made national news, you know? Right. And also because it's a, it's, it's a charismatic megafauna. We there consider, so animals like polar bears and orcas and uh, tigers and lions, these are what we call charismatic megafauna. These are the animals that everybody wants to see. Uh, um, and when it's an animal like that, it's always going to be national zoos, gorillas, you know, um, Animals that are iconic basically are, are animals that are pretty much always, especially right now, how zoos are under so much scrutiny for, for really even existing in some cases, mm-hmm. right? Um, th- that kind of stuff is always going to be, you know, Pete is going to get a hold of things like this. The, the dodo is going to get a hold of things like this. All these anti, mm-hmm. anti-zoo anti or anti-managed um, facilities are going to get into things like this. Um, 
And also, you know, it's reporting sad news. You know, that, that, that bear was probably very special, not only to the Detroit community, but I believe it was from Cincinnati before Cincinnati Zoo before that. Mm. So it was probably a very popular bear there. And maybe even one more. I think maybe this was her third stop. I can't remember. Buffalo. Don't quote me on that. I'm saying that a lot. Don't, don't quote me on any of this. <laughs> no uh, worries. But anyway, it was it was a bear that was very special to multiple communities. So it's going to make national news in that case. Yeah. And it also, um, I guess the zoo in this press release, they said they were offering counseling for zoo staff because when you lose an animal, let's oh. talk about that. That's hard. Yeah. Especially an animal that, you know, these, I, I can't remember how long this animal was at that particular zoo, but one if you've year, worked for an animal think, for one year, Okay. Yeah, okay, but still probably pretty special to them. Sure. At Cincinnati, was probably there a lot. I think I think she was 20 years old, so yeah, she yeah. was very special to a lot of people. Yeah, and um, you know, it's like like all of us that have nine to five jobs, we spend a large portion of our time at that at that job. And when you're an animal keeper, or even like a teacher or something like where you're investing lots of time into this animal or this person or whatever you grow attached to them and it's it's very difficult so um you know some people take it better than others the longer the longer you've been in it the more you've seen it and not necessarily that you're numb to it but the better you are at dealing with those emotions and things like that um but yeah we offer counseling services through eap eip eap program employee assistance programs um free to uh to not not just for animal stuff, but for any for anything that's really bothering you and ha- giving you trouble in life. But yeah, absolutely, it hits people hard. Certain animals hit people harder. You know, p- probably not too many people are upset if a poison dart frog they found dead in the tank, you know, sure, the next yeah. day. But a polar bear, a lion, a, an elephant, uh, th- these are animals that you know, they have very long lifespans, not as long as humans, but in, in most cases, but, you know, they live a long time. They form bonds with, with people at the zoo and with people in the zoo community. So, uh, absolutely. It hits people hard sometimes and would, we should provide resources to deal with that. Would you say it's one of the worst part of your job dealing with, with animal deaths at the zoo? Yeah, it's, it, it's, it's obviously not pleasant, right? Yeah. Uh, you never want it to happen, especially yeah. when it's something that, especially when it's something that you couldn't, really foresee happening because you 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 sit there and you play it back in your mind like what decision could I have made differently what sign did I miss and I'm sure all of these keep I'm sure there were there are cameras all over that exhibit I'm sure keepers oh, are and, and and uh upper level management staff are pouring over the video footage oh. to see what what happened was there anything we possibly could have missed that that could have led up to this because you know in the end at the end we're we're, we're, we're humans and we're going to make mistakes. And unfortunately, sometimes those mistakes cost lives, you know? Okay. This is an interesting question that just came to my mind. I don't know if you know this, but do zoos get punished for something like this? Like would the species survival program punish the Detroit zoo or like not send them any more bears because of this incident or how, how is that handled? Um, I don't know if they would, with the SSP specifically would punish them. I think it would probably have to do with, uh, I'm sure they're they're doing their own investigation, you know, like mm. if there was some like I can't even think what I'm, I'm totally speculating here. So I have sure. no idea if this is even something that would happen. Uh, but, you know, if there was a problem with the facility, if there was a, uh, a, a, a safety issue, if there was, um, you know, a bear broke through an area that wasn't secure. I mean, mm. something like that, something like completely catastrophic that it was an easy fix, you know, something like that may, may have, may, may affect an opinion of whether to send a bear there. But in terms of like something that happens during a breeding thing, I mean, the SSP is putting those bears together. The SSP has said these two bears are compatible. 
So they're taking a lot of responsibility on that. Uh, obviously, it's the facility's job to manage that interaction, but the SSB is saying these animals go together, right? Um, so they play a, a big role in that as well. So I don't, I don't think so unless it was, mm-hmm. like I said, just completely like it was obviously they're the, zoo, the zoo's fault, which I don't think is is most of the times the case. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Matt, thank you so much for coming on the show again and giving your thoughts regarding this incident. Uh, you know, once again, condolences to all the Detroit Zoo staff and just the people who were affected by this. I can't imagine. You're probably just in shock. I Losing animals is the worst part of my job. It doesn't happen often, but it's like it just it crushes you. It's like losing a family member, you know? Oh, oh yeah. Like losing. I mean, imagine. I mean, it's, it's obviously different because your dog is like in your family. Right. Sure. But you know what it feels like. Or, or most of you probably know what it feels like to lose a pet. That's part of your family. And when you're a zookeeper and you spend eight hours a day, five days a week with these animals, you know, they, they become your family, too, in some regards. Um, so it, it's it's always difficult. Um, hey, do you mind if I if I if I plug something about the Detroit Zoo real quick? Oh, absolutely, dude. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to, I'm going to hold this up. I don't know if this is a video sure or not, but I'm going to show you. Okay. Uh, so a friend of, a friend of mine, uh, uh, unfortunately she's passed away. Elsa Paulson. She was actually started as a keeper at the Detroit zoo. Okay. And she wrote this book called, uh, barley, barely story. Okay. And this is a bear that came from a circus and she helped rehab at the Detroit zoo. Wow. Um, she also wrote another book called, uh, smiling bears. Mm-hmm kind of looking at the emotional is that, oh, I showed you the wrong side. <laughs> oh, I was like, that's white. Uh, okay. Uh, so Smiling it's called bears. Smiling Bears. It's about the emotional life of bears, not just in zoos, but in the wild too. And, and how, uh, they're just a different, they're just different animals, man. <laughs> bears are, their bears are my favorite animal in general. Um, and so that kind of gives you a little bit of an insight into their behavior and how they go about the world. And then this one barely story is really excellent about how keepers have basically rehabbed a, a, a tortured circus zoo polar bear. Um, uh, and it's really cool because it happened at the Detroit Zoo. So wow. if you, unless you're interested in that, please check it out. Yes, and I will include the links in the show notes. And by the way, if you loved Matt's interview so much, I know this wasn't the most uplifting topic, but it's something I wanted to talk about. Uh, please check out the interview I uh, that I did with Matt. It was one of the first episodes. I'll include that in the show notes. You're going to have to go way back. <laughs> I think it's like episode four or five. I don't know. It, it's, it's definitely there. And uh, I also... Dude, I'm going to encourage you listeners to check out Zookeeper Stories. I It was one of the first animal podcasts I ever listened to, and I, I've listened to all of them. So, um, you know, but uh, great stories of zookeepers uh, and their journeys on how they found their dream jobs. It's a really good podcast. Yeah, it was uh, like I said, it has we haven't had a new episode in a while, but I think it's you know, I think it's kind of evergreen content. It just shows zookeepers in general at the zoo will get questions almost every single day. Uh, you know, how did, how did you get your job? How do you, how do I do what you do? Uh, so I wanted to make a resource available for people to be able to, to, to hear stories of how people actually, uh, got to work in this industry. So even though they're old episodes, even though there hasn't been a new one in a while, I still think it's relevant for people that are just starting out. Maybe they're volunteering at an animal shelter or something like that. And they want to work at a zoo or a, a rehab facility or something like that. Uh, so you can check that out in here. Lots of different ways to get into the field. Thank awesome. You. Awesome. And then Matt, you're going to hang out for the after party. Are you ready for this for our patrons? 
Absolutely. Let's are you, do it. Are you ready? After party. Okay. And by the way, if you want to access that, you can just go to animals to the max or excuse me, you could access that. Like I should figure out the link first before I plug it. Right. <laughs> you should go to patreon.com slash animals to the max to access this. We are going to start doing exclusive interviews because usually after each podcast, I, I have conversations with the guests afterwards. And I thought, why don't we just include this for bonus content for the patrons who uh, support the show and keep the show ad free. So if you want to do that, you'll check that out. But with that said, Matt, thank you so much, man. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Uh, go, go visit your zoos once you can do so again. Yes, yes. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Animals to the Max podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with friends and family. Also, if you haven't already, hit the subscribe button. It really helps me out. As always, if you have any guest suggestions, if you want to email me personally, head on over to CorbinMaxi.com. And if you haven't already, check out our social channels. You can follow me at CorbinMaxi on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We'll talk to you next time.